0: All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast, re-release bonus episode number 7 of 10 to wrap up 2022. So we got Austin Rutherford today. Fantastic gentleman. I had the honor of meeting him at one of Mark Evans' events earlier this year. He'd been on the podcast prior to that. A lot taller in person than he looks on the, uh, on the old computer, but uh, guy's just killing it. Killing it in crypto. Uh, Airbnbs, social media stuff. He's another one. Just if you guys are not following Austin Rutherford on social media, if you're investing on any level or if you're any sort of entrepreneur looking for any sort of value or nuggets or tips or, or just somebody you should model yourself after. Awesome guy. Good demeanor. Uh, hear nothing but good things about him from everybody that knows him. And he uh, was nothing but a gentleman when I met him as well. So thank you so much, Austin, for being a good guy, coming on the podcast. And it was great to obviously meet you in person and connect. And I look forward to seeing everybody again at Mark Evans' next event as well. Uh, but Austin, Rutherford, thank you for coming on. This is a great podcast. I'm excited to re-release it. Hope you guys had a fantastic Christmas, Hanukkah, everything you celebrate. And uh, gearing up this week now for the new year as we're about, uh, I guess, the 27th-ish, right around here is probably about Tuesday. So hopefully you guys had a safe and happy holiday and you're rounding out the year the right way and no better way than to check out for the first time or the second time this episode with Austin Rutherford. If you're looking to do deals together, text the word real estate to Nick 516-540-5733. Again, 516-540-5733 to do your first deal together, your next deal together. If you want to buy properties from me, sell properties to me or find a way to just to have a conversation about how we can work together or partner together. Just text to our real estate to 516 And again, nicknicknick.com slash links, L-I-N-K-S. Three Nicks, nicknicknick.com slash links for all the ways to connect and listen and watch this podcast on pretty much every platform, as well as find me on social media. Please interact. We've had amazing, amazing guests that have been given a ton of valuable information and agreeing to come on and spend their time and share their knowledge, their expertise, their wins, their losses, and their lessons. And the only fee for that is to just subscribe to the show and to interact on social media when I post clips and listen and let the uh, guests know that you support them and you listen to the podcast. So a like, uh, a a thumbs up, a share, a tag, something uh, is always welcome. So thank you so much for supporting the A-Game podcast, supporting the guests. Have a great day. Awesome, Rutherford, ladies and gentlemen. All right. My guest today on the A-Game podcast is a former basketball player turned entrepreneur and social media star. He is the author of From Valet to Millionaire and the founder of Elevate Life, a real estate education company teaching entrepreneurs to invest in all aspects of real estate. He's become very wealthy through real estate investing, cryptocurrencies, and branding himself through social media. As a real estate investor, he's amassed a portfolio of over $10 million and has raised over $15 million in private money. He's done hundreds of transactions, including flips, wholesale deals, rentals, creative finance, and short-term rentals. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast, and thank you so much for being here today, Mr. Austin Rutherford.
1: Absolutely, brother. I'm looking forward to it today, man. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Dude, I appreciate you coming on, man. I've been following you. Your social media game is outstanding, <laughs> and I've had you on uh, a lot of different podcasts, and you, you've kind of come in as guest speakers on some of the masterminds and stuff that I'm in, and you're always talking about something different, and you're always just giving it as like, such straightforward content and such really good info that's digestible. So I like the way you teach. I like the way you give stuff out and you just have a good energy, man. So I really, really appreciate you coming on and digging into some of these things, especially, you know, everybody today wants to talk about either social media, real estate, or crypto. And you seem to have covered all those. So thank you so much, man.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, people always ask me, like I see three opportunities in today's world, real estate. It's always been around. It's always going to be around eyeballs, which is social media and then cryptocurrency. So I'm, I'm all in on it.
0: Nice, man. I, I love it. I love to definitely start out with uh, with real estate. And I usually like to do a little bit of a, a deep dive into a different deal. But I've heard you talk a little bit about your first and I think that there's probably a great one to start with to yep. talk about. So if you can go into a little bit of that, and we'll just kind of go off from there.
1: Yeah, man. So I kind of had like technically two first deals. So my first, first, first real estate deal was a rental property that I bought when I was 20 years old. Uh, It was a duplex, um, It cash flowed about a thousand dollars a month, owned it for about seven years, sold it a couple months ago, you know, made multiple six figures on it. It was a great deal. But my first deal that I I really talk about uh, is my first flip, like the first time I bought, renovated and then sold a house. So uh, I wanted to flip houses. because That was how I was taught, you know, to make a lot of money very quickly. Uh, so started marketing for deals. Uh, it took me 16 months of marketing and working ballet and going to college, taking 15 credit hours, 16 months of grinding it out. Finally got the first opportunity, uh, ended up buying it for $74,000, put $170,000 into the rehab of the deal. Um, and I ended up selling it and netting in my pocket, $107,000 in net profit. Uh, then people see that, that check, the check was actually for $184,000, but only 107 of it was net. So people see that check and they're like, oh, this is easy, but like they forget 16 months of failure, you know, leading up to that. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was my first, uh, investment. I was $170,000 rehab. Uh, we did a 600 square foot addition, two car garage. 25 grand into the foundation, plumbing, electric, HVAC roof, siding windows, gutters, like literally anything you can do. Um, you know, we, we knocked it out. Uh, I bought it when I was 21 and sold it when I was 22.
0: Dude, that's a, a pretty ballsy first rehab. It was, <laughs> that must have been scary going in. You're usually, I did the complete opposite. I started with like a very small one starting out, but what was the mentality going into such a huge deal like that on your first swing? No, absolutely.
1: So uh, people getting in, they're like, you know, the first ideal deal is, you know, a, a 20, $25,000 light cosmetic rehab. And that's what I thought too. I was like, that's what I was looking for. Uh, but I tell people always ask me like, you know, how should I start? I say, start with whatever opportunity presents itself first. Uh, so that's kind of what it was. You know, this was the first deal in my eyes that made sense financially. Um, so I put it under contract, right? When you know it's a deal, you want to control the deal. So put it under contract. I control the deal. And I was thinking about wholesaling it, making a little bit of money, but I knew I could make a lot more money flipping the house. So I put it under contract and I started looking to raise money. At the same time, I had one of my guys walk through the house, um, a new person to me at the time. He was in real estate, somebody I kind of you know, wanted to learn from. I was like, hey man, like, can you walk this deal and see if it's even a good deal? And if I can't get it funded, you know, I'll wholesale it to you. Um, you know, if you could just kind of give me some insight on it. So he's like, yeah, absolutely. Walked through the house. He was like, it's a phenomenal deal. Uh, if you can't get it funded, I'll definitely buy it. Uh, and then, then I had to end up raising a quarter of a million dollars uh, to fund that deal. Um, you know, luckily I was able to do that and, uh, you know, knocked it out. There was a lot of learning lessons along the way. Uh, a lot of late nights of me at the house. The last two nights before the property got listed, I slept in the house. I did 20 hour days fixing the house myself. For the last two nights, I slept on a on a love seat, so I couldn't even like sleep on it. It was so small, uh, but you got to do what you got to do, you know. So it worked out. You know, made a hundred grand. You know, rest was history after that.
0: That's awesome, man. So coming into some of the specifics of that, how did you wind up finding that deal?
1: Yeah, so it was from direct mail. So uh, we hand wrote letters, uh, actually in my parents' basement, and uh, <laughs> it, was, it was the fifth letter that I sent them. So we always sent seven letters to each list. Um, so five letters in, which is roughly five to six months after the initial letter, um, they ended up calling me back, um, went to the house, actually put it in contract for $102,000 um, contingent on a foundation uh, engineer inspection, um, and then had the engineer out. It was $28,000 of work and uh, reduced the price to seventy four dollars
0: Man, on, on a big rehab like that, what was the final rehab budget that came in versus what you initially thought it was going into it?
1: Yeah. So uh, we ended up spending right about $170,000. Um, and of that, we had about 30 grand in contingency budget, which we spent all of it. Um, <laughs> so we went we went even a little bit above the contingency budget, um, but we had such a large contingency. We didn't like blow too much of it because we already kind of planned on blowing a lot of it.
0: That's That's the nice part. The pros and cons of those bigger deals is You have a little bit more fudge room, whereas sometimes those 20, $25,000 flips, you go five, 10 in, you're almost doing it for free. So there is risk and reward on those bigger ones. You know, another, another key thing I always like to ask, especially, I think it's very interesting that that was the first one. And it's it's such a big swing. How many contractors did you have to go through? Did you actually find one that went through that whole job and, and finished it from the beginning to end?
1: Yeah. So uh, luckily, yeah. So I, we we, drew, we wrote a scope of work, um, and then we had like five or six general contractors come out to look at it. Um, ended up hiring a general contractor to do to do the job. We subbed the uh, the foundation work um, and the landscaping and the fencing separately, uh, but that GC made it basically through the entire job. You know, the last two months of the job. Um, you know, there was a lot of back and forth. He wanted to charge more. I was like, hey, you already did this. Like, there's nothing different than what we had. He left, he then came back. He left again, <laughs> he then came back again. So like we fought to get the job done. Um, and that's why I had to sleep in the house the last two days, because uh, I had to do the final punch, the final doorknobs, hanging light fixtures, uh, because they wouldn't come back and finish. So, I mean, it. it we basically got done with one, thank God. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there was, a couple of snags along the way.
0: That's a big deal though. That's awesome, man, that you were able to pull that out. And I think that's another, another thing that I had to learn is you, you can never be too specific in your scope of work because at the end like that, man, when, once they've made what they think they can make, they're on to the next thing. They're not coming back for those small little things there. So that's huge. You know, uh, another, another thing i like to definitely ask about that is somebody listening to this might say, all right, well. You got this under contract, you find somebody to finance it, but you didn't have any experience. It was your first deal. And that's a lot of money to be raising on your first one. So for somebody who is in that space that's trying to raise money for their first deal without a track record, how did you put that together? And what kind of advice would you give to somebody in that position?
1: Absolutely. So I'm going to come back to that, but I think one very powerful point. So when we flip houses, we, the contractors get paid on a draw schedule, right? So as you're coming towards the end of the job, it's very difficult to finish the job. That's the hardest part of the job. So what what a lot of people do, let's say they have a a $10,000 balance left to pay a contractor and a contractor is like 95% done. What people will do is they'll give the contractor like $7,500 of the 10 grand and hold like $2,500 for the final, you know, punch out. But the contractor already made his money at that point you know, he's, he's going to go and do other jobs to make more money. It's going to be very difficult for him to come back and do the final punch out, or they might even pay like nine of the $10,000. And he's definitely not coming back. So we, we don't like, we might give a couple grand, like of the 10, we might give like one, two or $3,000, but we're holding a very large check for the end because if all they need to do is the final punch out, But they have a lot of money waiting for them. Like they're going to finish the punch out because they want that big check. So, uh, don't like pay people like too many small payments in hopes of getting them to the finish line because they just won't come back. So keep keep a large amount so then they actually want to finish, and they get the job done. Then they get paid. Um, So I've I've learned the hard lesson on that a few times.
0: That's great uh, advice, man.
1: But uh, back, to, back to the other question about, you know, private money, raising it, um, everything in between. So I was, when I bought that deal, I was 21 years old, no business, no real estate, no construction, you know, no background at all. And I thought to myself, like, how in the world am I going to be able to raise a quarter of a million dollars? Uh, so what I did, like, I started calling the people that, like, I knew, right? Like, my mom, my dad, my aunts, my cousins, stuff, things like that. And uh, I mean, basically got the answer, like, hey, you know, I don't know, it's your first deal, it might sound too good to be true, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So then I had to go like out to other people. So uh, I called a guy I met at a networking event. He said no, because he didn't know me from anything. Um, And then I called a lady that I met at a real estate networking event about a year prior. Um, And I just connected with her, just like walking around, you know, talking to the room. Um, She's like, hey, you know, I just rolled over my self-directed IRA. You know, I'm going to use that money to invest myself. I told her what I was trying to do. You know, had a decent conversation, exchanged phone numbers and, you know, went on with our day. A year later, I called her back. I'm like, hey, you remember me? She's like, yeah, I do. I was like, how's business? She's like, well, I haven't really found a deal yet. Um, You know, I'm, I'm a realtor now, but, you know, still looking for that first investment property. And I was like, well, you know, what if you could be a private money lender on a deal? And she's like, I'd be open to that. And then I told her about the deal. Um, she, she met me, like, like I said, a year prior. Um, and then when we started getting more conversations about this deal, you know, the, the questions came up like, well, how's my money secured? Or, well, what's the numbers on the deal? Or, well, you know, what happens if you get hit by a car and die? How do I get this property back? And I was able, like, luckily, I've been researching private money and like how it works prior to that. So when she asked me those questions, I had answers for her, which made her more confident in me. She actually never asked my age, surprisingly. Um, I think it's like, cause I was, I could talk about it without hesitating. Um, and she decided to end up lending me the money on the deal. Uh, we paid her 12% and two points um, and she,
0: she funded the deal for us. That's outstanding, man. I think what you just dropped, there was very interesting things to talk about. First off, a lot of people look to get into real estate, especially people with money, and they don't really want to put the time into marketing. They don't really know how to find a deal, or they're not really putting the time into really going out and finding those. And when you can come back and retouch base with those people of like, you know, you tried it for you, you couldn't find it. Here's another opportunity for you. Going back to the first thing you said, is your first deal should be your best, your first opportunity. I think that that's really great information for somebody listening. That there's a ton of opportunity for that of people that want to get in, and their first deal doesn't necessarily look like they think it was going to, and you can provide that opportunity. So that, that's a really great outlook for that.
1: 100%, I mean, people people want to live in a perfect world and we don't live in a perfect world. So, I mean, sometimes you just gotta figure it out. Like that, that first deal, it was five siblings that inherited the property that were all married to other people. So I had to get <laughs> 10 signatures to agree to that deal. Like we, we get paid, we're, entrepreneurs are in the, pay, are in the business of getting paid for solving problems. That's the only way we get paid is we solve somebody's problem. So people that don't want to solve problems, like how are they going to make money? Uh, So everything's not always perfect in this world, uh, but like, that's what you get paid to do. So figure out a way to do it.
0: You know, I think what you touched on that first deal also is, you know, the contractor didn't really finish stuff. There was things you had to get in there and do whatever it takes to finish. I think that that's a really good life lesson for just in general entrepreneurs that I was, I was talking to Billy Alvar actually on this podcast, and he was talking about how excited he gets every time problems come up on his jobs. And he's like, this is what we do. He's like, this is what we signed up for is problems. He's like, so when there's problems, it means I can solve stuff. It means I can make money. But I think people want that HTTV life of I go in, I fix it up, I put it on the market, I make money, we high five. And yeah. they get burnt out or upset or stressed out or quit when that fight or flight pops in from the stuff that comes up, but what is your mindset and how do you handle it? Because it really is that you have to learn how to stay calm and handle problems because it isn't all smiles and sunshine where you're getting into this. And if you can get through that, that really is where all the money's made.
1: hundred percent. I mean, like when things are like really hitting the fan, like I've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars on deals and investment decisions that I've made. And, like, I've lost like real money. And like even my girlfriend will come to me sometimes and she'll be like you good like like that's not normal right i'm like it's what i signed up for like you know this is literally what i asked for i asked to be able to be in a position to do this so like i'm gonna figure it out um and like not accepting no not accepting negativity like i i do not allow negativity in my mind like by any means it's something that does not is not welcome somebody around me brings it up like it's cut off immediately And I think like when people get in a bad position and they start going down that negative path, they build on the negativity with their own mind. I always say you cannot control what comes into your mind, but you can control your reaction to those things. So a lot of people will have that happen and they'll stay in a slump for an hour, a day, a week, a month, or a year. Everybody goes into those slumps. It's just how quickly can you get out of them? For me, it's like 10 seconds. It happens. I'm like, oh, that sucks. Oh, well, we got to figure it out. Now we're back to it. Uh, so I think it's just being like mentally tough. Um, and when my business like truly, truly went to the next level is when I like really actually started believing in myself, um, which comes from, you know, the manifestations, the affirmations, the journaling, the, the reading, uh, just having confidence within yourself. Um, like those outside forces don't really affect you. Um, and you know that you have the capability and the power to build back whatever you wanna build back. So uh, losing something is not as scary when you actually believe in yourself
0: that's awesome man how, how much of that do you think came from your prior life as an athlete
1: i think there's a, a big correlation right um you know athletes are competitors you know we like to win we don't like to have, lose we don't like to have anybody else better than us uh, so i think a lot of it correlated um, to business and entrepreneurship you know a lot of a lot of my friends like we compete You know, but it's good competition. Like, you know, I see them win. I'm like, oh, like, that's dope. Congrats. All right. Now it's my turn. Like, you know, I got to one up him and then I do it. And they're like, all right, you know, I got to one up him. So it's friendly competition, uh, but it's just a winning attitude. And and that can be taught too. you know, a lot of people say it can't, uh, but I didn't believe in myself. Like I was a guy in school at like homecoming and prom. Like I would literally stand in the corner of the, of the, the the room, like not even close to the dance floor because I don't want to embarrass myself. Like a camera came out, like I would hide in the corner. I didn't want pictures of me. And like now I'm on, you know, social media all day, every day. So it's something that can be taught. Um, you just have to want to learn. it.
0: I think that that's great, man. And, you know, going back to your first conversation, I think that the more confident you are in what you're talking about, the easier it is to get out there and put yourself out because you're, you're comfortable in that skin for sure.
1: 100%. 100%. Talking to people is everything. Most people are just too scared to even
0: open their mouth. Exactly, man. I agree with that. Just getting started. So what is your current business model looking like now? What are you guys doing?
1: Yeah. So on the real estate side, or um, the well, goal now is to build rental properties, right? You know, I got caught up for five or six years. I call it chasing money, you know, flipping and wholesaling and making a lot of money. And it was great, but it was like, what are you building for the future? Um, so now as deals come in, our first exit strategy is a rental property. So we look uh, to have a positive cash flow of $400 per unit per month Um, And then we look to get into it basically with no money using the Burr method at 75% LTV. So when we refi, we have no money into it and we own the assets still. So um, that's what we look as a rental property. If it fits that, we're keeping it as a rental. If it doesn't, then we look to flip and or wholesale it. Um, So that's the real estate side. Um, And then we're starting to do on the rental side, we're uh, rolling over to some short-term Airbnbs. Um, So taking longer term units and putting them on, on Airbnb Uh, because i had a couple that were doing very well so we're going from two units to eight units on airbnb Um, we're almost done with that rollover i think we got five going right now um and then on the brand side you know it's building the brand uh helping people coaching people getting eyeballs again i say eyeballs is currency um so that's kind of what it looks like now
0: that's awesome man you touched on definitely a couple of things there one of them is with the market going the way it is right now. I've heard you say that you're leaning away from big rehab, which seems to be across the board, What I think is a smart idea right now. Just we don't know what's going on. So staying away from stuff, things you can get in and out of somewhat quickly, but on the burst strategy now, what are you doing to protect yourself against a market correction? Are, are you adjusting for the refi? Are you like putting extra parameters in there? Are you guys doing cash outs? You're just doing rate and terms? Like, how does that look for?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, when, when COVID like first hit, the uh, refis went down to about 70%, 67 to 70%. So we we lowered our buying standards at that point. Um, Now we've gone back to 75%, excuse me, 75% all in, which includes all holding costs and soft costs. So like net, net, net 75%. Um, So we're refining out 75%. Um, Usually that's about where we're at. Um, If I got a deal where I could pull like 50K on top of it, uh, and still be at the 75%, I'm probably only taking twenty dollars or $25,000 out. So I could be at like 71% or 72%, um, just to limit liability. Uh, but the good thing, like with, with our market, Columbus, Ohio, uh, it's very like solid. So when the market crashed in 08, you know, the Texases, the Vegases, the Callies, the Floridas got like destroyed and lost 30, 40, 50, 60% of the value. Ohio only went down like 10 or 20%. So, you know, if we're at 75% LTV and we have a 20% crash, you know, theoretically we're still 5%, you know, uh, have 5% equity in the deal. Um, So we're not like maxing everything. Um, We're not swinging at every property that we used to in the past. Uh, So a little bit more conservative, but for us, like if if we're in the first time home buyer market, so our properties are worth like a hundred to $200,000. So if we had to get out of it Everybody can afford that house. The hedge funds are buying those properties. People with a lot more money than me are still in the uh, market to buy those deals. Uh, so worst case scenario, you know, hopefully we'll still be able to get out of them uh, with, with 25% equity.
0: I think it's really smart, man. It's like you're saying, those cash flow markets, are they're not going to see those big swings. If you have 25% equity in there, in a worst case scenario from what I saw in the last crash and some of the things I've learned from people smarter than me, when those markets start to turn, if there is a correction, your rentals that are in those middle-income and first-time homebuyer areas are, are going to be even stronger because people aren't getting loans because the conventional loans tighten up, so you can't buy, they still have to rent, and there's no supply. So I feel like you're even in a stronger, like what, worst case scenario, your equity on paper goes down, but your cash flow goes up. So who cares? That's what you bought it for anyway. So things really smart.
1: That's the thing. Like People always ask, like, well, what happens if the market crashes? Values of something have zero effect. They don't matter. Cash flow is what matters. People go bankrupt off of lack of cash flow, not of lack of value within a property. So even if the property dipped 50% and I was underwater, but it was still positively cash flowing every single month and I was making more money than I had to spend every month, it really doesn't matter because I can weather whatever storm I need to weather if it cash flows positive. So cash flow is everything. Like that's how you stay afloat in the down times. People, People go bankrupt from lack of cash flow, nothing else.
0: I'm so happy you said that, man. And I think for people that panicked and sold their stuff off in the last crash, if they looked at what it was worth today, they all wish that they would have just kept them and held the cash flow. Even at like a small monthly loss, they would have been up in the game now. That's the beautiful part about real estate, man. Even if you're down a little bit, if you hold it long enough, theoretically, historically, it's going to show that you're going to be winning right now. It's never been worth more than it ever has as it is right now today. Agreed. I mean,
1: you just got to look like the amount of money that we've printed, um, dollars, currency that we've printed, Theoretically, like there, there's some reports out there that said we've printed like, you know, 40% of all income, all value of dollars in the last two years. So theoretically, if there's 40% more currency, the dollar itself is worth 40% less and the assets themselves are worth 40% more. Like overnight, technically that's what it looks like. It doesn't happen like that quickly in the real life. But if there's way more money in the world, how do assets that have limited supply not increase with that, you know, money supply. Uh, so I'm with you, like assets, like stocks, like real estate, like crypto. Um, I, I think, you know, there's obviously going to be ups and downs as it goes, but over time, long-term, I think they're going to continue to go up.
0: I agree with you, man. And you're know, touching on Airbnb and short-term rentals. Uh, shout out to my buddy, Paul Vincent. Uh, he he linked this up. Great man. guy, hysterical, smart. And uh, I was I was asking about short-term rentals and Airbnbs. And he was like, austin's your guy i'll definitely get you guys up so shout out to him i'm gonna have him on soon too but i did have uh, some questions on that and i wanted to dig in because i haven't had somebody who really knows that arena well yet on air so i really wanted to get you on i had some listeners that sent in some questions so talk a little bit for people who don't know like what is the strategy for an airbnb or a short-term rental like what are the benefits of it
1: yeah so uh, on paper right they should make more money every month so our our Airbnbs compared to what it could do as a rental or what it previously did as a rental, we're netting two to three times as much money. So if we could net, if we could bring in $1,200 a month, we're making $2,400 to $3,600 a month. So it's more cash flow, number one. That's why most people do it. Um, But the downflow, the downside to it um, is that it requires more work right? You're you're turning units, you know, every day, every other day, every week, every month, whatever it is, you're turning units, you're managing people, you're managing complaints, you're dealing with, you know, noise complaints. You know, there's a lot of other things. It's a a hotel at the end of the day. So the downside is like the extra work. um, But there are ways to outsource that, right? You know, you can hire somebody on your team to deal with it. You can hire a virtual assistant to deal with it. You can hire boots on the ground to deal with it. So there are other ways of outsourcing those things. But, like, for me, the way I look at it, if I can increase my rev two to three times and I have a team that can run them, like, it doesn't really change anything on my side at all because, like, I'm still doing the same amount of work, but making more money. Um, There's a little bit of like liability issue. You know, if there's a party or something, Airbnb technically covers those things. But I mean, anytime you have more moving pieces, there's always a little bit more liability. Um, and then like the upfront cost, uh, furnishing can get expensive. Like we just furnished a four bedroom, 3,200 square foot house, five bedroom, 3,200 square foot house. Uh, and it cost us like 13 grand to do it. So now we own the furniture. So worst case we can sell it, make half of the money back, um, and just move on to, you know, turning it back into a long-term rental, but, uh, there's downsides a little bit upfront cost. Um, And then just like maintenance, you know, you have more turnover, you have more people in and out. So it might just wear a little bit faster than than long-term rentals. But uh, again, to me overall, you know, we make more money. So I
0: like it. Are you turning more towards that? Is that a little bit more your favorite right now as far as your rentals is short-term versus long-term?
1: I mean, so I I own like 60 units and there was two Airbnbs. They were performing great. So we're rolling six more uh, properties over two Airbnbs. Um, so like by no means is it like the majority of my portfolio, uh, but we're doing eight of them and I think they're going to do really well. I, I don't know if I'll ever do like 50 because I think that can like be a very big headache. Uh, but like I, I like the allocation of eight right now. Uh, we'll probably run that for a year or so, kind of see how they do and then figure out, you know, what the next step is from there.
0: Smart, smart. Yeah. And that was going to be something I asked about, like the, the furniture, because I'm actually staying in one for the first time. I'm usually a hotel guy, but the Chip I'm taking kind of made sense. And I started seeing in the email, it was like, you get one towel, one bar of soap, one garbage bag. And I was like, oh man, like I didn't even think about that stuff, you know? So (laughs) is that kind of what you're looking at, you know, as far as upfront costs, I don't know if there's a rule of thumb, like the way you were in a commercial building that like, you know, 40 to 50% is like what the expense ratios are. How do you, how do you kind of gauge what you're going to need for expenses that you're going to have to put up versus what they're expecting from you?
1: Yeah. So, Ours are like higher end properties, so I don't, I don't know, you know, what type, but like we want to give them like the luxurious feel, right? So we give them k cups, we give them like you know oatmeal bar type of morning breakfast snacks. Um, there's no limits on toilet paper or, <laughs> or anything like that. Um, I understand why they're doing it because there's obviously a cost associated with it. Um, but like for us, like we want people to have a great experience um, and the way that we like cover those costs. So there's a, when people book on Airbnb, they pay a cleaning fee. Right. So I think our actual fee for cleaning on one of our larger units is one hundred and eighty dollars per clean. But we charge 220 of a cleaning fee to the guest. So that extra forty dollars, half of that probably goes to stocking. So the toilet paper, the paper towels, you know, the K-cups, things like that. So we're losing half. Of it. We don't, we're not even losing it because technically like we have we, profit. So we're paying half of that to that. And then the other twenty dollars is actual profit. So you can build in other profit profitable margins within Airbnb outside of just the nightly stay. So you can have like cleaning fees be profit as well. Uh, so like as far as like the turnover stuff, all that's kind of included for us. Um and then we just have to budget the utilities. So like Wi-Fi, I think it's like seventy dollars a month, um, and then average utilities are a few hundred dollars a month. So we just take out you know four hundred dollars a month out of gross for expenses, and then we obviously subtract the uh, the cleaning fees because we pay cleaners as well. So uh, really, it's just like four hundred dollars, and then every time it turns, they pay for the cleaning fee and the
0: stocking themselves. That makes sense. Yeah. This one was outside Disney and I guess so many people have just cleaned them out of like everything, every time they move out of there, but you're right. All those fees are in there. You know, what does what like the management fees look like? Is it like a standard 10% a year? Are you getting a percentage of every turnover?
1: Yeah. So we, I don't, we own and manage, so I don't have an outside manager. Um, we have boots on the ground. We have a cleaning team that cleans and then we pay them a flat fee per listing per month um, just to kind of like do the one-off stuff. So if somebody's having a house party, um, we'll call them to go to the house and meet the cops to shut the party down. If, you know, a doorknob breaks, we'll call them to go replace the doorknob. If a light bulb needs changed or a battery dies and a keypad, we'll call them to go change those things. Um, so we just have like a monthly fee that that we pay them uh, per property, per unit, per month. So sometimes we win, you know, other times they win, uh, but it's just something that boots on the ground is is key for us, especially because I'm in Florida now. I'm um, just having somebody there to be able to manage those things as needed.
0: Awesome, man. I appreciate that. That's great info. I, I have a few questions that came in from uh, some of the listeners that I definitely want to jump into social media, crypto, and some of the coaching stuff you're doing. Sure. Um, one of them is how do you figure out what the vacancy and occupancy rates are and what the, the the fees, not the fees, but the rents are going to be. So like, for instance, one of the ones like that we were looking at, it's by a, a vacation resort. So they're trying to just make sure that what they're looking at now that's not just a seasonal thing, then they're going to be sitting on it empty for six months out of the year.
1: Yeah, so great question. So, airdna.com does have a monthly paid subscription for it, but they can give you data on other properties in the area. Um, so, you can go there and they can kind of give you what it would look like on a monthly basis. Um, and also, you can just message other hosts. So, you know, I've gotten messages from people that have been looking at, they'll message me like, Hey, I'm not looking to book, but you know, how often is your property booked? What's the average nightly rate? Now, obviously they could lie or just not respond. Uh, but just reaching out to other people um, has been a great way for me to do market research as well. Um, but AirDNA is really solid too.
0: Awesome. And they'll give you occupancy and they'll also give you rates? Correct. Yeah. Well, cool. that's awesome, man. Um, how do you figure out what markets you want to do short-term rentals in?
1: Uh, so for me, it's just, you know, where I owned everything already. So, um, I haven't gone to like a vacation rental or anything yet. Um, I'm looking to buy some Airbnbs down here in Florida. Uh, but I, I honestly, I kind of fell into the Airbnb space. So I had a six unit rental property that I was doing the Burr method on. And there were six units I had to fill. It took me like a couple months to fill like two units. I like, well, this sucks. So I had to do, I decided to do an Airbnb on one of the units just to get something occupied. Um, so ended up being great, make a lot of money. I'm turning the other five units to Airbnb right now as well. Um, and then the other property was my personal residence and, you know, I ended up moving out and I didn't need the furniture and I was like, well, you know, do I sell the house? Do I sell the furniture? What do I do? Um, and I love the area and I think the area is going to continue to appreciate. So I was like, you know, let's give Airbnb a try. And you know, I already had all the furniture there. Um, and it went crazy. You know, we did $12,000 in one month. Now that's nice. obviously the high month. Um, but like I could rent that property for $3,500 a month. So um, it was great numbers. Um, It worked out tremendously. Those were the two and I was like, well this works. So then we're just moving six more um, to do the same thing.
0: If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesaling, fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you wanna sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fixed and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com, go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure, or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels if you go on www.nickandnick.com links you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together make it happen everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner best time to start is today nice man N- natural transition i like that <laughs> for sure cool yeah another question that came in is do you analyze these for a short term and a long term like if you're going to go buy one now is that kind of how you would weigh it out? Like, hey, this only works for short-term or does it have to have a little bit of a backup strategy for if it doesn't work for short-term, I can still cash flow and make this a long-term rental?
1: Yeah, no, this is big. So when COVID hit, we had those two Airbnbs, we were booked for six months. Every single person booked, uh, canceled for six months, every single one. We had six straight months of cancellations and our calendar was blank. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> this could get real very quickly. Um, So that was like the light bulb It's like, I'm not doing this unless it makes sense as a long term rental, because if Airbnb goes bankrupt, if they get into some legal legality issues, or if they they, Airbnb can remove you as a host, like there's a lot of things that can happen. Um, So yes, when I buy them, it has to make sense as a regular rental property. So I can go back to that worst case, uh, if need be, and I'm in the process of doing another like higher end um, Airbnb right now, which does not make sense as a long term rental. But I'm doing the Burr method with it. So I have 25% equity in the deal. So if it doesn't work, I can still sell the deal and still make money just as I would a a regular flip.
0: That makes sense. Is is your exit strategy for those to hold them long term? Are you looking at it just, you know, overall, is it, I guess, the same? Is there a holding pattern? You say like, here for these, I'm going to hold them X amount of time and then I'm going to sell or you just hold them long term for cash flow?
1: No, I mean, every rental I own, my plan is to, you know, pass it down to my children. So, you know, things could obviously change, but I mean, I have no intent of selling whatsoever.
0: Nice. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that one. I think that that's a great thing. Um, last, last couple here is uh, how do you make your properties stand out with the competition versus others in your markets?
1: Yeah. So high-end furnishing, you know, I know a lot of people that go to Facebook Marketplace uh, to get furniture. Um, the problem with that is, is it's usually like 20 years old. So, I mean, we do nice <laughs> You know, it's, it looks good, it feels good, it's comfortable, it's new. Yes, we spend a little bit more money, uh, but it shows well. Uh, so pictures are huge, you know, making sure the furnishing shows very well in pictures. Um, and then also like their, their experience, right? The experience is what makes them write a review. Like When I book Airbnbs, I look at pictures and then I look at reviews. And then, then I look at price, right? You know, at, at once I'm comfortable with those things, like I'm, I'm moving forward. So the pictures have to show very, very well and the reviews have to be amazing. You know, I've I've refunded entire stays off of one small mistake because it's better to me to have a positive review than it is to like complain to them about $250 of something and then have them write a horrible review that I can't even remove and Airbnb is not gonna do it for you. Uh, So the the experience is everything. Positive reviews and uh, making it look good uh, will go a long way for people.
0: That makes a lot of sense because that, that was obviously a big thing we were looking at when we were looking to rent ours. So I guess the same things that you would look for when you're getting one is the same things you would want people to have when you're selling one, right? For sure. For sure. That makes sense. So, so I know you said like $400 a month cash flow is what you're looking for for your normal rentals. What are your parameters for your, your short-term rentals? Yeah. So
1: we don't like really have a, a guideline on that because again, worst case for us, we just go back to a regular rental. So we underwrite it on a long-term rental and then short-term, like we just- obviously want to make more than what we would, um, on a long-term rental.
0: Makes sense, man. So pivoting now, social media, you have been absolutely crushing your content's awesome. Obviously anybody listening to this in the show notes, I'm gonna have your TikTok, your instagram your websites all that kind of stuff I, everybody should be following you you're giving a lot of stuff out there which again i think is funny because you said you were shy at one point now you're out there kind of taking <laughs> over but you you've managed to build a really good brand for yourself really good awareness for yourself a great audience but you've also managed to monetize it and i think those are two things again like real estate people watch hctv they think it's so easy i'll just go flip houses and social media you know, kids these days, it's, I'm not going to get a job. I'm just going to be a YouTube star. And it's like, it's not that easy. Like it's so crazy. So talk a little (laughs) bit about like what you're doing and how that all came together and how you're monetizing and building your brand on social media.
1: Yeah, so three, two, two, two to three years ago, a mentor of mine you know, kept just telling me, like, yo, social media, social media, social media, social media. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll get to that, right? Yeah. And finally, one day he said it. I was in San Diego. He was like, social media. I was like, well, all right, might as well give it a try. So uh, again, I, I hated the camera. That's why I didn't want to do it. So I journaled everything I was going to say, bullet point. So in case I messed up on camera, I could reference the bullet point and continue forward. Um, I put the journal on my desk, I put a water bottle in front of me, I put my phone on the water bottle and you go to the live screen and then you just like click live. And I had the phone, I had my journal and I was ready to go. And I literally stared at the phone for an hour. It wasn't one of those things like I thought it was four minutes, like it was an hour. And one of my, I was on vacation with one of my boys and he was like, bro, like you've just been sitting out here staring at your phone. Like, are you, are you okay? (laughs) And uh, finally, like I clicked the live button, I started talking. And 30 seconds in, it tells you how many people are watching uh, your live. So 30 seconds in, it said zero people. And I was like, oh man, like I failed, like this is it. Like every every negative thing I thought was gonna happen, happened. So I picked up the phone, I clicked the X button and then it says confirm or cancel. And I looked at the phone and I was like, well, if I click confirm, like I'm literally giving up. Like, I'm a quitter, I'm a failure. So I canceled it, put it back down, finished my live. It was awful. I stumbled like a hundred times. I was blush red. I was sweating and it was terrible, but it got me started. Right? So I know a lot of people watching this are like, well, I'm shy. I don't like the camera. I don't know what to say. Like, believe me, I've been there. I've done that before. If you follow me on social media now, like whipping out a camera is the simplest. whipping out a camera is like writing a sentence on a piece of paper for me now. So uh, again, it can be something that is learned. Uh, but as far as like how the entire transition started, um, people come to me and like, I want to build a brand. Like, how do I monetize it? Monetization is literally the last thing you need to be thinking about, because if you lead with money, you'll never grow the brand that you want to lead, uh, grow. But if you lead with help and value, you'll grow a brand way bigger than you thought you could. And you'll make more money doing it. People ask me all the time, like, why do you give all this for free? First of all, 99% of people aren't gonna do anything with it anyways. But second of all, it's like, I genuinely like helping people. Like the messages that I get, and I get hundreds of DMs a day. The messages that I get like, yo bro, like I, I did my first deal because of you. Hey bro, I just quit my job because of you. Hey bro, I just bought my mom a car because of you. Like those are the most rewarding like messages that I could get. And I've got like messages from people like, bro, I was about to take my life and I saw your video and like, I'm here now. Like I got goosebumps just talking about this. Like." That beats anything in the world for me. So I lead with value and I led with value for years and money just started coming, right? You get asked so many times for something, like you can't help everybody. So then you create a product for it. And then you get asked so many times for something else and you can't help everybody. So then you create a product for it. And it's something that I'm still learning how to monetize it the best. You know, I'm definitely not the best person out here, uh, but I'm making money on it. And it's fun, it's rewarding, it's helping people. Uh, so I always say like lead with value first and then the money will come after.
0: That's awesome, man. How caught up do you get in and out, Like when to post hashtag, like there's so many little things, you know, I, I forget my, my buddy Shane was at a mastermind with like Tim Bratz and Ryan Pineda and yep. you know, Shane's a little bit older and, and he's like a construction guy, like nuts and bolts, blue collar guy, like knows, knows all the ins and outs of infrastructure and stuff. And Ryan got up there and was talking to him about like all the time and all the things that he learned that he puts into his like TikToks and stuff. And he came out after and he was just like, I'm just telling you, it's like, I'm never going to do that. Like, and I think people forget that that could be a job in itself. Like there's mentors that I know you were talking about j- just for just that one thing. So it can be overwhelming. Like what is some some like quick and dirty, easy ways that you would say, or some advice you would give for somebody starting out their social media? Because when you, when you peel back the layers, it can get really overwhelming for all the things that you actually need to know to be successful with it.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I'm, my, my brand is a business now, like we track views, we track shares, we track all the KPIs. So like once it gets to that point, yes, you have to treat it as a business. There, There's processes, there's systems, there's team members, there's editors, like there's a lot of people involved, but everybody isn't, you don't start there, right? You don't start with a hundred thousand dollar a year's payroll for all these things. <laughs> it doesn't happen, right? You have to start at the beginning, which is where I started. And one of the best pieces of advice that I got when I started was I was like, well, what do I share? What do I talk about? Do people want to hear about and somebody said to me they said don't create just document so just document what you're doing you don't have to go out there and create these crazy hype videos and this video ad and this reel that is insane like I do that now because I have the team that does it and it is a business at the beginning I just documented what I was doing so if I was making a phone call I reported the phone call if I was going on an appointment i showed the appointment. If I was working out in the gym, I posted the weights. If I was on vacation or getting on an airplane, I posted the airplane. So if people follow you, they want to know everything. They want to know when you wake up, what you eat, what what you wear, who you're hanging with, who you're talking to, what deals you're doing, what failures, what wins. Like they literally want to know everything about your life. So just document the journey. You know, if you're brand new, document the journey of how you went from broke to millionaire. If you're already doing deals, document the journey of how you went from rich to richer. Like people want, if they follow you, they want to see that stuff. So uh, documentation um, and not creation uh, was one of the best pieces of advice that somebody gave to me early on.
0: That's great advice, man. I appreciate you sharing that. Last social media question is what are your thoughts on like TikTok versus Instagram now? is I know I've had a few guys on that talked about how TikTok, there's still so much opportunity for organic growth versus like a lot of these other ones you still have to, to play on. Then you get the other guys that come on. That still think TikTok is nothing but like little kids dancing to like 15 year old Taylor Swift songs and stuff like that. So where are you at with with those platforms?
1: Anybody who's not on TikTok that wants to grow grow a brand is missing the wave. Period. Um, there's no argument about it. It's literally not comparable. You know, I grew 550 thousand followers on TikTok in less than six months. I've been doing Instagram for three years and don't even have half of that yet. So it, it literally doesn't compare to anything. Um, now. TikTok's all videos, like you need to post videos. Instagram is pictures and videos. We used to do mostly pictures, um, but like a month and a half ago um, when we were tracking KPIs, like videos always did tremendously well. So we post zero pictures now. Instagram is now all videos and it's reels on Instagram because just like TikTok, you get organic reach, which means you get in front of eyeballs, new people that have never seen you before because it's organic. Reels on Instagram allows you to do the same thing. So we create content and then post them on both platforms uh, in their videos, zero to 60 second videos, um, no pictures. And I think you can get a lot of growth that way. But the thing with creating content is the way that you grow is by getting shared. So when somebody shares it to a friend or somebody shares it to their following, that's how you get growth, right? Cause you're, you're touching a new all new eyeballs. Um, so when you're creating content, you gotta think about like, is this shareable? Would somebody click the share button? And like, what makes it shareable? It's like an aha moment. Like, damn, like, I never thought about this before. This is crazy. I got to share it with my friend. Or something like so off the wall, like, you got a free house? Like, how, what? How do you do that, bro? You know how to get a free house, bro? Like, is this possible? And then they share it to their friends or their pages or like something. But sharing is how you grow. So when you're creating content, you know, think about what would make something shareable. So like, I see people in front of the house, like, hey, guys, you know, today, in front of this house here you know i'm gonna i'm gonna walk you through it and you know talk to you about people already swipe to the next and you literally have to <laughs> get, get attention so don't do that you want to like basically the the end of the video you want to put first so the end of that video is like i made 40 grand right so put that first like i'm gonna show you how i made 40 grand on this house in 90 days what how'd you do that and now they're locked into the video and then you say I got this lead from a seller. We bought it for 50K. We put 100K in. Like, then you tell the story. Um, but you got to have something that hooks them uh, right at the beginning.
0: Man, that's huge. I appreciate that, dude. That's awesome info. Uh, p- pivoting one more time, crypto. So <laughs> this something, I got lucky. You know, I've heard so many people, we were literally at like, uh, we went out to dinner one night in Seattle and we were like in the lounge and this dude heard me talking about it and I was just watching it go up all day. So I was like, that's it, I'm going to buy it. And I threw like, I don't know, like seven grand on like Bitcoin or something, but I knew nothing about it. And I was like, I'm gonna throw it on here. And if I lose it, I'm okay losing it because I just don't have the time to learn anything about it, but I'm getting FOMO watching everybody (laughs) like make money on it all day. And then it crashed, but then it came back up. And some other guy was there, heard me talking about it. And he was like, dude, I'm a millionaire now because my weed dealer like four years ago came in and told me like, hey man, buy this. He's like, and I did. And it just became so much that I can't even sell it off, like at this point. So it was just one of those crazy things that now has become a real business. And I'm interested to see what your thoughts are on it. And I had one question that came in, but talk a little bit about crypto, why you see the benefits of it and what you're doing with it.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, crypto is an opportunity of a lifetime. Like we're going to look back at this time and be like, wow, like we were alive when crypto was coming about that's how powerful I think it's going to be in the future. $1,000 11 years ago into Bitcoin, one one grand would be worth over $5 billion today. B, B oh. not M, but billion in 11 years off a $1,000. There's nowhere else on earth you can get those types of returns. It does not exist. I've made millions and millions of dollars in real estate, and it's been great to me. But in real estate, we talk return-wise, like how good a deal is on percentages, 10 are great deals. In crypto, a five X is a bad deal. Five X is 500%. So 20% and 500%, great deal, terrible deal. We're talking in terms of X's and not percentages. Um, And I don't see any other opportunity like it out there um, ever in my life before. So yes, there's high risk. Yes, there's, you know, potential of losing it all. And I've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars, but I've made millions uh, on top of that. So I see it as an opportunity of a lifetime.
0: That's awesome, man. I've, I've heard you talk about some of the stuff with uh, like the supply and demand chain on it of just like, I, I forget the stat, but if you could share it about like, there's not even enough crypto for every billionaire in America.
1: Yeah. So um, that, uh, two, two examples, right? So Bitcoin has a fixed supply. It will never change. So like the US dollar, they can just print more money and more money comes into thin air. That's called inflation, right? Bitcoin has a fixed supply. It's e- immutable. It's written into code and it can never be changed. So there's not enough Bitcoins, one Bitcoin, there's not enough Bitcoins for every millionaire in the United States, not the world, but the United States to own one Bitcoin. Talk about a supply shortage, like every millionaire in the US can't own one, like there's a supply shortage, right? And then the next thing to that, that really made me believe in it, like what's, what's the most valuable asset in the world right now that a lot of people make the argument of? Gold, right? Like gold is the most valuable asset It's because it's uh, very scarce, right? But the thing with gold, like let's say, and I don't know the prices of gold, but let's say the price of gold right now is a dollar an ounce. I'm just completely making this up. Let's say that goes to $50 an ounce, right? Which is what people hope. They hope that the price goes up, right? When it goes to $50 an ounce, you don't think the people that find gold are gonna look harder for gold? Yeah, because they're gonna make way more money. So they're going to find more gold and increase the supply, which will then take the price back down. So it's one of those things, it's scarce, but nobody really knows how scarce. We may never see another gold mine again, or we may hit the biggest gold mine we've ever seen in our, ever in in the world. So if that is the scarcest thing, the most valuable thing out there, and the only thing that's more scarce than gold is Bitcoin. (laughs) It's a fixed supply Like do the math on it. You know what I mean? So when I got that example put in front of me, I was like, man, this makes sense. And now Bitcoin's only like one crypto. There's a lot of other cryptos, but that's kind of the essence behind of like why people believe uh, one of the reasons why people believe uh, in Bitcoin um, because it's scarce, right? It's uh, one of the hardest things out there in the world uh, to get their hands on. So yeah,
0: I love crypto. It makes a lot of sense, man. And Gene, my buddy Gene wrote in, he was asking is crypto better as a long-term holder or a swing trade. I guess, I kind of know the answer to that question. Now you're saying the long play there, there's a lot of benefits to that.
1: Yeah, so uh, you can swing trade, right? Um, I know a lot of people who make a lot of money trading. Um, I made a lot of money and then lost 100 grand on one trade. Um, so like I, I I, don't trade anymore. Um, I invest in the crypto, again, very high risk, very high reward, but I invest in the crypto today with a three to five year outlook because, every, you know, again, it does this. But over time, ideally, it continues to go up over time. If it repeats the past, it'll continue to go up with a lot of ups and downs along the way. So if I have a three to five year outlook, it's going to be very difficult for me to lose money in the short term. You know, when I at the beginning, when I started investing and it crashed 30, 40 percent in 24 hours, like, (laughs) yeah, that that was very emotional for me. You know, I saw zeros taken off of my account and I was like, like, that's scary, right? Uh, But then you just get, and then the next, you know, week later it's up, you know, the same amount and more. So it's like one of those things you just kind of like, you gotta, you gotta remove yourself from that. Um, Otherwise you're gonna drive yourself crazy emotionally.
0: Makes total sense, man. I would have freaked out if, uh, you know, I had a couple of weeks there where it did. And then like you said, it's worth more than it ever was. So long long ball for sure. Ever wanted to play the drums or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McTancy's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He's played all over the world and he's also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced beginner any types of styles from metal all different types of percussion whatever style you want get a free drum lesson today from dan all you need to do is text the word drummer d-r-u-m-m-e-r to 833-632-0585 again text the word drummer d-r-u-m-m-e-r to the number 833-632-0585 for your free online drum lesson now pivoting to elevate. So talk, talk a little bit. I see the shirt. Awesome shirt, by the way. I love that shirt. So you're helping people scale their businesses in a big way. Now talk a little bit about what you're doing. How do people work with you? How do they find you? I see you have some online training platforms. There was a bunch of different stuff. I was looking up, it looks like you have a lot of really great content, things you're offering to help investors. So talk all things, elevate all things. Do you also yeah. So uh, Ele-
1: it's called elevate life, right? It's a brand that I came up with. And the reason behind it is I see a lot of business owners or family people that are great in business or great leaders or great parents or great, you know, uh, fathers or mothers, but there's very few people that are like great in everything, right? So elevate life to me is like, how do we elevate our life in all aspects at the same time and actually live our, our life to the fullest potential? Um, so, you know, one of those ways is having money, right? You can solve a lot of problems with money. How do people make a lot of money? Real estate, real estate's created the most millionaires ever. Um, so I've been able, you know, blessed to have people in my life to teach me the game. So now, you know, we teach other people how to invest in the real estate, whether that's wholesaling, flipping, owning rental properties, you know, whatever it is on the real estate side. You know, we teach people how to get started and or scale what they're already doing inside of real estate. Um, and then we, I do a lot of mindset stuff, too. Right. You know, it sounds crazy. I know 90 percent of this <laughs> is mindset. You know, the 10 percent the how to's you need to know that. But the rest is all mindset. But nobody wants to hear that. Uh, so we talk mindset, um, how to grow, how to actually get confidence within yourself. I told you that's how my business took off. I was actually believing in myself. so we do masterminds, we do vacation masterminds, um, we have yearly masterminds, um, again, mostly just on business and mindset in general. Uh, so you know I love connecting with people. Um, you can find majority of this info at the austinrutherford.com um, and then Instagram and TikTok is uh, Austin Rutherford
0: official. Awesome, man. And one of the things I think you touched on that I liked about what you're doing with your brand is you mentioned that you give everything out for free and people go, why do you do that? And so, well, 90% of the people aren't going to do anything with it anyway. And I think at a time where there's so much information out there, it's very easy to get analysis paralysis and keep jumping at the shiny object. And I noticed that some of the ways you're structuring your courses is you could focus on one piece of that course and and okay i'm, I'm going to do rentals I'm going to do flips and i think that that was really smart because it allows people to say this is what i'm interested in right now i'm going to learn how to do this I'm going to master this and obviously if they're learning it from you then they're going to get faith and confidence in your product okay now i want to learn how to do rentals from them or flips from them and i thought that that was really smart i don't see enough people doing that and i think that that really is going to help the success rate being somebody that's you know, taking everything and there's stuff I've done stuff with and stuff I haven't, I know how important it is to really like hone in and focus on something to find success in it. You have to really see it through. For sure. No,
1: I agree 100%. You know, people, there's two ways to make money, right? There's a process of two things to make money. It's a very simple process. One Mm -hmm. is educate. Educate what you're doing, you know, whether that's masterminds, whether that's uh, courses, whether that's whatever it is. And the second is implement. You got to implement Most people never get to the implementation phase. So it's very easy 2 step, educate and then implement. So we break it down like step-by-step-by-step so you can do those steps and then learn the next steps instead of learning everything and then never doing anything in the first place.
0: I love it, man. If they just go to theaustinrutherford.com, they can get all the info on how to connect with you if they're interested in any of the different platforms or coaching options you have? Absolutely, theaustinrutherford.com. Awesome. And again, it'll be in the show notes. Uh, Last couple of things before I let you go. You touched on this and being somebody that was a student of different coaching programs and now is doing them, I came up the same way. And there was people that I sat right next to that went home and said, this is a scam and they never did anything. And then sitting in the same room, getting the same information with the same opportunities, went out and created a lifestyle for themselves. What do you think it is that separates that from the people that are sitting there that make something with the opportunity to the other ones that just go, hey, I I followed Austin on TikTok and I'm not a millionaire yet. It doesn't work.
1: (laughs) absolutely it it, some people get it some people don't right and people think everything is a scam people thought bitcoin (laughs) was a scam it's created millionaires and billionaires people thought literally everything that anybody's come out with somebody has called it a scam right so there's there's too many people thinking with other people right be an individual thinker what i do every single day is i set time aside for me like I, i journal i meditate i read i say my affirmations because I want time to think for myself, right? So when I get up in the morning, I don't get on, you know, social media and TikTok and Instagram and my text messages. Like I don't look at any of those things until almost nine o'clock in the morning. Because the first three, three and a half hours of my day, like I'm focused on me and I want my own thoughts. So be an individual thinker. Like when I started real estate, I paid twenty-five grand for a mastermind, off rip I opened up new credit cards and I maxed out my credit cards. I paid twenty-five thousand dollars for it. At the time, a lot of people was like, oh, you're crazy. It sounds too good to be true. This is a get-rich-quick scheme. Like, don't do it. There's always going to be negative thinkers out there. Like, think for yourself. And this is, this is big, right? When you're trying to do something, it's never a matter of if something can be done. It's only a matter of when that thing's going to happen if you take the right actions. So something like going to Mars or the moon or something, like, that's new, right? That That, that is a whole new world. It, it may or may not can ever be done. We don't know yet. But everything else, ecom, real estate, wholesaling, crypto, like everything else has been done by somebody. So copy and paste what they're doing. And it's not a matter of if it works, because you see it works. It's only a matter of when it works if you take the right actions to get there.
0: Man, if there was not a stronger close, I, I can't think of one. That was awesome, man. That was solid advice to finish on. And I think that that really wraps everything up nicely. This has been awesome, man. You've been very generous with your time. and really cool to come on and share your experiences with us, man. Any final thoughts before I let you go for the day?
1: Man, no, I, I just appreciate the opportunity. People always ask me like, what's the last thing I want to leave people with? When I, when I was, I don't know, I was like 13, 14 years old and somebody was like, uh, the most valuable thing in the world is time, right? Once time is gone, You will never get it back, ever. So value the time and what you do. Instead of watching TV, watch YouTube videos and learn something new. Instead of going out and drinking with your friends, sit at home and write a new book or read a new book. Like That's what's really going to take you to the next level is being conscious of the time that you spend, how you spend it, and who you spend it with.
0: I love that, man. Wise words from a wise man. You definitely bring your A-game to everything you do. I appreciate it. Awesome. Rutherford, ladies and gentlemen, have a great day. Thank you, brother.